You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, friends. It's Mark Tuminelli. Welcome back to another episode of Little Me Growing Up Broadway. My guest today is a Broadway kid who appeared on Broadway in the Who's Tommy and in the Broadway national tour of Les Miserables and my personal favorite 90s musical, Big. He was also part of the Radio City Christmas Spectacular as a child, and in recent years, he has returned to Broadway as the associate director of The Share Show and Fully Committed. His other directing credits include the highly acclaimed production of Once at the Bucks County Playhouse and The Rocky Horror Show, Cabaret, The Wild Party, John and Jen, and many others. Please welcome my buddy, Travis Chrysler. Hi, Travis. Thank you. It's it's like so nice when you hear your credits in succession like that, you're like, Oh, I think I'm going to be okay. I've you're going to yeah. be fine. You've done lots of things. And I left out like more things than you've done. So. For sure. But no, that was really wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, well, thank you. I am, I'm kind of obsessed with many of the shows you were part of as a child. I'm a little bit older than you, but I am. Um, I should be very annoyed as this episode goes on because you got to do all the things I wanted to do as a oh, kid. No, it's all, it's all going to come out. It's going to be, it'll be mutual therapy for both of us. It's just time any anytime a kid was part of the Broadway Kids, which we we're going to talk about. Yep. I just get my jealousy level shoots Go through the roof. Yeah. Of, did you, wait, did you know the albums and stuff? Was of course it? I knew the Broadway album. Should we just start by talking about the Broadway kids? I, we can. Yeah, that's a, that's a definitely, it feels very appropriate for this particular podcast for that to be our entry okay. point. Okay, so explain to the people out there in the dark what the Broadway kids were. Yep, so the Broadway kids were, I always like to describe them as sort of like the um, Broadway equivalent of Menudo, uh, because, right, it was a group of kids 
originally at least, who had been in Broadway shows, or at least the equivalent of Broadway shows, tours and, and, and various productions in New York City, singing songs from those Broadway shows for children. So, right, so it was a group of kids who were doing the very thing, performing for other kids. The first album, which I was not a part of, was literally aptly titled The Broadway Kids Sing Broadway, and I was on albums two and three, The Broadway Kids of the Movies and The Broadway Kids Sing Christmas. Sing Christmas, I particularly love, is I want to say it was like at least 75% of the kids on that Broadway Kids Sing Christmas album were Jewish. So Love it. Of like the Jewish kids singing all the Christmas albums. I sang I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. It, it, they're just, there's a lot of ridiculous uh, uh, recordings floating out there in the universe. You guys all used to wear your show jackets and oh. show up to things and... I was just very jealous in my childhood bedroom. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I want to, to be there. I got to go to Italy with them. I traveled the country. Yeah. and did more zany brainies and malls than I cared to admit. Why did that stop? That should be a thing. And, and here's the crazy one, too, is when I first moved back to New York City, I was a part of trying to do, like, a relaunch of it. It stopped the way most things stop, when there's not enough money and funding, when there's not the right people in charge. So, like, things just sort of, like, fall apart sometimes in the world. Yeah, yeah. We definitely try. We really try to, like, rebrand it and make it, like, a super contemporary thing. And unfortunately, it just sort of fell apart. I mean, it is something that's so cheesy 90s mall that you oh, can't yeah. quite re re uh reignite that that exactly exactly right because it definitely feels like the old school way that um like the britneys and the justins of the world used to like get get started was like there's a concert happening in the middle of the mall and malls are dying around the world so like i don't think it's i don't think that methods and you know the kids from will rogers follies aren't really packing them in my my first first new york audition in the world oh my god we're gonna well that's a great segue so um Tell me before the first audition, how did you know like you were good enough to go to an audition? What was happening at home? So it's so funny because I, I of course, was like catching up on episodes and I had a while back when we were working on uh, stuff, I, I remember I listened to Jared Spector. So like there's going to be a lot of Jared Spector similarities, similarities as we're both also from like the Philadelphia area. We both were Gavroches. We like the two of us bonded during the show show about a lot of this. Uh, but the, the story goes, um, my parents courted each other on Broadway musicals. Uh, and so when I was born, I would be in the car seat and the thing that they agreed upon to like listen to in the car that was like, okay for me to hear as like the two to three year old in the car seat. And they both wanted to listen to were all the Broadway musicals. So by the time I was three, I had memorized Cats, Les Mis and Phantom and then would make my parents stop the tracks after everything to describe what was uh, physically happening on stage so I could picture it in my head. And then okay, that's why you're a director. Keep going. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're already, you're getting ahead. That's exactly right. And um, I then forced my father and my grandfather to help me build a stage in the basement so I could then recreate the scenes. And at six years old, I asked my mom, whose job was it to make the pictures on the stage? And she was like, I think you mean the director. And I was like, great, that's what I'm going to do. She was like, well, you can be whatever you want to be. And I was like, no. I'm going to be a director. Um, And I have had blinders on ever since that moment. But of course, since there weren't directing classes for six-year-olds in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. No, really hard to come by. Really hard to come by. And also, like, that's an SNL sketch I'm still dying to see someday. Mm -hmm. Um, The six-year-old's trying to learn directing the craft. Uh, So I was like, oh, cool, I'll be an actor instead so I could watch directors work. It was To me, it was like trying to figure out how the magician did his tricks. Uh, And then... 
through the magic of like geography, local Bucks County community theater, the Bucks County Playhouse, I got to perform. I started performing in like children's theater and doing, I did a community theater production of Jesus Christ Superstar. And it was during uh, that Jesus Christ Superstar production that when it ended, all of the actors in the show came up to my parents and were like, you have to keep this kid doing it. I was the full hand backstage. I stole King Herod's costume and would like recreate. Would like do the number. Fully yes. Through, like, and was like, <laughs> not, off, not only off book, but like making new choices. Um, and Perhaps better choices. <laughs> we'll see. Um, who, who knows who's listening? Uh, but um, I, they gave my parents phone numbers of agents and managers. And my parents are like the antithesis of stage parents. They're super supportive but they were like we have no idea what this world is and what's going on and so they're like great and for six months i drove them crazy every day after school have you called have you called have you called and they finally set up this um meeting with a manager in allentown pennsylvania and i will never forget my memory of it is i'm in the back seat my mom is like leaning over the passenger seat while my dad's driving us to allentown pa from bucks county and my mom going if she says you have to come back in a year and you need singing lessons and acting lessons, I just don't want you to get your hopes up. This is what's going to happen. You know, we're, we'll happily put you in those classes. And if this is something you really want, great. Just don't expect anything to come from today, okay? And I was like, great. Nice way to set you up. Totally. Uh, the manager booked me on the spot and three auditions later was Radio City Music Hall. Oh my God, so crazy. So Will Rogers was your first audition. My first. Scared. I got cut from the dance call because I wasn't a very good dancer as a kid. I, I still to this day, I can move with the best of them, but I definitely have two left feet, uh, even though I ended up being a bar and bat mitzvah dancer in my teenage years to pay for my car insurance. Oh my God, um, I'm but, so embarrassed for oh, you, but also oh. obsessed with it. Uh-huh. All right, so the third audition is Radio City Christmas Show, which... Um, now, give me a year. Where? What oh, year is this? This is 1993. Okay, so were they still doing that show that I was obsessed with? That like, sing a little song, sing a merry little song this Christmas. You better believe it. And we opened with "We Need a Little Christmas," and my yes. line was, "It hasn't snowed a single floy, but Santa dear, we're in a hallway." Yeah, fully. Did you have no R's or were you putting that on? So no, it was, uh, back in the day, this is even, I'm like giving away all the secrets. It was fully pre-recorded in that sequence. So that was me lip syncing to the boy who had done it the previous year, who was my alternate in the show. So I'm very obsessed with the 91 Christmas show that was like from 91 to 94 or five. Um, and uh, my buddy Frank Delella and I sing through that cast recording. Oh yes, it was actually like a great Christmas show. It's a great like, Christmas show. It was truly spectacular. They should license it. Um, I agree. So tell me, like, what was your parents' reaction? This is a very big deal. I mean, you're in the largest space in New York City doing this huge show, you know, and it overtakes their life for three months or whatever. How did all of that go down in your house? Well, they love to tell the story of the first day when we got to the theater and they, like, gave my family, like, a tour of Radio City. And when we finally, like, they saved the stage for the end, obviously. And we, like, walk out on the stage. And I remember my, my parents told the story of, like, them getting sort of like panicked because it's it's overwhelming when you're standing on that stage it's six thousand seats in the theater it is a massive stage with three elevators and a turntable and a smoke screen i mean like it can do all these things and they walked out and my my dad goes uh, am i allowed to curse on the podcast yeah i could bleep it or i'll put explicit uh, explicit but he's just like i think he said something like oh shit and i go that's one, he, one's he goes, fine right and he was like he was like we're screwed like he was so nervous and i go this is going to be awesome. Like I 
I was immediately in my happy place. Of course, place. yeah. But they were, they were super great. I have a younger sister. Taryn is three years younger than me and is like not theatrically inclined. And so it became a really interesting thing for my mom and I moved to the city, the two of us. We lived in a sublet on the Upper East Side. And my dad stayed home in Bucks County, Pennsylvania with my sister. They wow. she, she got to go continue her schooling. They didn't want to disrupt her life for my life. And the way my parents pretty much from moment one started to think of it was this was my extracurricular instead of soccer games that they were driving me to out of state. They drove me out of state for auditions and this theater thing. Right. So it was, that was their way of processing it. And, um, radio city provided tutoring and funny enough, that's where, uh, they then met, and we, we all met, um, the heads of on-location education, the tutoring service, um, and Alan Simon and Denise Simon, which is the reason you and I met. You and I know each other through Denise Simon, right? the queen. So, yeah. So back in the day when we met them, they loved my parents because my parents were really grounded and were not stage parents. And they actually brought my parents into young performers committees to just sort of help educate other parents of young child actors, too, because they were just so cool, down-to-earth, liberal. Like, I have very cool parents. I got That's amazing. Point. What do you remember about performing that show when you look back? Like what was the standout moment of doing Radio City at nine, eight or nine? Uh, eight, eight into nine. I turned nine years old during oh, the fun. Yeah. Um, uh, the standout moment, I mean, definitely uh, the scale of that show is something I remember. Just how large literally everything was. The animals, the set pieces, uh, all of that. And being able to, um, there was even a part of that that show, if you remember, where there was an audience participation thing where you could um, you could be in the show and it suddenly would look like you were flying in Santa's sleigh during one of the, the big Santa sequences. And it was so fun because when we had guests coming, you could sign up ahead of time to have your guests be the audience plant that got brought up on stage and a part of the show. So like I got to even share the experience of being up on Radio City stage with my friends who would come unlike Tommy, which I'm sure we'll get to in the conversation. We're, we're about to, uh, they were not able to come and see because there was no. adult content in that show. Um, and then I, I just also remember the experience of living in New York city for the first time and falling madly in love with this place. I still call my home. Um, and, and bopping around New York city with my, with my mom taking me sort of everywhere. So it's I so such a special experience to have oh, yeah. my friends who have done it are like, the thing you don't know is that there's poop everywhere. Like everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere, truly everywhere. You're just walking through camel poop at all times. Yeah, dodging it all the time. Um, Gotta love the Radio City Christmas show. I can't wait to go back and see it this year. Plug, if you're on the fence of whether or not it's safe to go to Radio City, just suck it up because- Oh, it's so fun and it's so magical. my favorite. And I have two, I have a couple of friends in the show this year, so I'm excited to see them play Mrs. Claus. Beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous women who are like 40. Right. Okay, so let's move on to the Tommy musical. So the following year, right? You booked so, Tommy on Broadway. So the the fun story is that same um, that same manager, Lois Miller, may she rest in peace. Um, uh, was she's been mentioned a lot on this. Podcast. I, I'm sure. I'm sure Lois Miller has. She was sort of this like magical, wonderful like second mom. Yeah. Um, and she was so she was so great to me and my family. Um, anyway, she had while I was in Radio City, her other sort of like fancy client at the time um, was this. Young 
young girl named uh, Krista McAloosh, who was in the Who's Tommy in the original cast. And we did a little exchange program. She came to see me in Radio City and meet us, and we went to go see her in Tommy. She was playing at the time, it was um, uh, eight-year-old girls played four-year-old Tommy. Mm-hmm. And so at intermission of Tommy, it was one of my, you know, it's probably maybe only like the fifth or sixth Broadway show I had ever seen. Um, and I'm, I'm nine years old watching this show. At intermission, I left a message for Lois Miller going, I want to be in this. I can do what that kid's doing. And uh, I think Radio City ended in January. And I think my first audition was maybe three or four weeks later for Tommy. And it was for the understudy. Uh, and I and I booked it. Uh, and th- another really fun, quick uh, story about that audition experience. I was auditioning at the time next to Pierce Cravens, if Pierce has ever come up in these conversations. Yes. I mean, he's not come up, but I remember him. Yeah. yeah. So Pierce, Pierce and I were literally at the same time in callbacks for Chip in Beauty and the Beast and covering Chip and Tommy and Tommy and covering Tommy. And I booked Tommy and Pierce booked Chip. Uh, and so like our parents became friends and are still relatively close. And so like that was one of those like you're sitting in a holding room. Was Pierce's like dad a Yankee or something? Am I making that up? Yeah, you might be right. I'm not going to know if I remember that exactly. But that, yes, they because were Because Pierce and I were up for Gavroche together. Yes, that feels. Yes, okay. All right, that's another story yep. for a different for okay. a different night. But I remember I came out of my <laughs> um, my final callback of uh, <laughs> of Tommy. And of course, you know, my parents were like, how did it go? And I was like, they said I sounded like a young Roger somebody. And my dad goes, Roger Daltrey? Yeah. And he looks at my mom and he goes, we're screwed again. He's going to get it. Yeah. You know. All right. So you book your first Broadway show, which is Tommy, which is a big hit on Broadway. And um, I'm imagining it's a tough show for a little kid to do. It's sort of like the Tam in Miss Saigon of its time. Like you're kind of watching her crazy things happen. And, you know, and I'm sure that conditions you a lot of ways to like be able to work with adults and all of that. So tell me about your Tommy experience. Yeah, very much. So right. For those who don't know, Tommy Wright is the story of uh, the young boy who becomes deaf, dumb and blind when he witnesses a sort of horrible murder in front of him. Uh, and while deaf, dumb and blind becomes this like massive superstar of a pinball uh, player. He's the pinball. You know, like you do. Like you do uh, when you're in the sixties and, uh, and writing around drugs. <laughs> exactly. A lot of drugs. Um, and so Tommy was just dealt with a lot of adult themes. My part in the show, so I was Tommy at age 10, about 20 minutes into the first act, uh, the young Tommy who the sort of trauma happens to uh, goes through a lot of testing at the end of this like fabulous, fully choreographed testing sequence, yay Wayne, Wayne Salento, um, transitions into becoming slightly older. And for the rest of the first act, sort of is at the hand of family, friends, and uh, even the acid queen who are all sort of deal deal Tommy various levels of abuse. And it's, it's really sort of traumatic, even though the music is uh, delicious and fabulous. And I, as a nine and became 10 year old during the show, you have to stand there and you are deaf, dumb and blind. So you're basically like a rag doll. You have to be able to like respond and move your body when the actors are moving you around. Um, and then in act two, we sort of flip places with um, uh, famous uh, Michael Servos, who was doing the role at the time, uh, who was playing older Tommy. And as he takes over as sort of the main one, uh, his younger selves appear to him in in mirrors throughout the set. Um, and we sing the famous see me, feel me, touch me, heal me sort of segment. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really uh, interesting way to go from 10 to 40, really, really. Yeah. Um, and I learned 
a lot. I was in that show for a year and a half of my life. So the St. James became a second home. Um, I started as the understudy for about the first, uh, I want to say it was like three or four months. And it was actually when the producers found out I had my audition for Les Mis, uh, they called up with my opening night date. Um, so, um, I never even ended up auditioning for Les Mis, which I'm sure we'll get to, but, uh, it was it was an incredible experience. I mean, when you think about that cast, that original cast, because I came on right before the year anniversary, so there were still many of the original cast members. I got to work with Alice Ripley, Sherry Renee Scott, um, uh, Norm Lewis, Lewis. Um, I mean, and Michael Cerveris. Uh, it truly, uh, Laura Dean, who was like in the um, Fame movie, was my mom when she replaced Marsha. Like the, these these people were truly incredible, um, and have all gone to be like above the title stars themselves. So it was one of those like magical, magical companies to be a part of. Um, and I really uh, made it my home. I <laughs> I did famously the Tommy Puppet Show. So when I was the understudy, I was really bored backstage. And I created puppets of the entire cast. And we at intermission made the entire company sit at the St. James uh, Mezzanine Lobby one day in between shows on a Saturday. And they watched a like 20 minute speed through version of their own show told with puppets that the entire kid ensemble did. Or there was the time I turned the entire fourth floor of the St. James Theater into um, our dressing rooms, into a haunted house experience for Halloween. I was that kid. Yeah. It was like anytime I could put on a show or turn something into an immersive- Even when you're in a show. Correct. I wasn't getting enough. Like I, it was like the show was the same thing every single night. So it was my way of still feeling creative inside of the creative thing. Um, And it was truly so inspiring. And even- the um the crew members knew I had this staged on my basement. So when they would go and replace like the gels of all of the um light in- instruments, they would give me their leftover gels. So my basement became this like highly organized gel wheels and everything over like lighting that my father helped me um design. It's kind of insane you didn't become a lighting designer. Truly, it was definitely another plot. Like when I turned 13, I wanted a lighting board for my birthday. And my parents were like, we're gonna get you your first computer instead. That feels a little more practical um good I, choice parents dev- maybe not they were, i'm devastated they were, for you they were right <laughs> um yeah tommy like i have very visceral memories of sitting in that theater but specifically about the acid queen because i don't think yeah. i understood Who what was going on yeah. and that this guy was taking his son to do sex to this woman like and i was with my dad i remember being very uncomfortable only to follow it up to see Kiss of the Spider Woman like the next year right. with my dad. Yeah. Which I'm jealous of because I couldn't see as it was playing across the street with mostly the same schedule. And my mom was like, that one's inappropriate. You'll see it when you're older. And it's one of my favorite musicals of all well, time. Well, you will, we'll, we need a, we, we need desperately a need a revival. I okay. want to do it. So, so you do tell me for a year and a half, is Lame is the next big job you do on tour? So, so ready? We're going to connect the dots now. Let's connect. So, so it was while doing Tommy that I became a member of the Broadway Kids. And um, while the Broadway Kids were recording that album, I was talking about the Broadway kids at the movies, these special um, adult guests they had, I think it was Petula Clark was on the first album. And okay. it's, um, and on the second album, the special guest is Richard J. Alexander, who is the associate director of Les Mis at the time. And while we are recording that album and Richard was actually starting to do shows. So like Richard was using the Broadway kids for like a lot of benefits. We did a make a wish foundation thing with him. I got to know Richard very well. And he would always during rehearsals or recordings, look at me and go like, 
why haven't you been a Gavroche for me yet? And like 11 year old me had the gall to be like, oh, it's a really long show. And we live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And putting my parents through that commute would be really, really hard. And I have a younger sister. So I had all these excuses why Broadway probably was too long for Travis. I mean, it was just, it was a a huge ask to ask of my family to be a part of that show that was my dream show. And I would like say all these things. And you go, well, what about the tour? And I was like, and I didn't even know what a tour was at the time. Like I truly didn't understand. And Richard, one day, I remember him explaining, oh, on the tour, you go from city to city and blah, 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 and you'd be able to like leave school and do all this. And my brain exploded. I was like, that sounds awesome. And it was, I think the day before we were about to go on our first family vacation in like, uh, oh, it had been almost eight or nine years. So like, because of my childhood career now, we hadn't really traveled anywhere. And we were about to take 10 days to Disney World. And I remember Tommy had already closed and I come home one day and um, my mom is like looking like she's having a panic attack. And she goes, the phone's for you. And it was Richard calling. I didn't even audition. He just offered me to replace. He needed an immediate replacement, uh, Gavroche on the road. And he had already brokered a deal because he called my mom and he was like, we need Travis right away. And she was like, we are literally about to go to Disney World for 10 days. He goes, great. Can you come the day after? She goes, you need to give me at least three days when we get back to like unpack, repack and figure out how I'm about to leave my entire existence and go travel across the country with my son. So my memory is that Disney World trip would be every time we like got in a line for a ride would be when my mom's panic would return and she would be like, oh my God, I have to repack. What are we going to do? How are we going to go on the road? for?" And we literally just got back. I got back from a 10 day trip to Disney World and left immediately for the national tour of Les Mis. Oh my God. How cool. And such a magical show to be a part of as a kid. And every child I've talked to who was part of that had such a really wonderful experience. No one's like, they were mean to me. They threw me down. It's like, it seemed like the most wonderful place on earth to work. I I was, again, it's just like, it was also so long into the run. So it was such a well-oiled machine, even by the time I showed up to that world, because this is now 1996. Um and I, I had a blast. It was truly one of the, some of the most fun I've ever had. That part is one of the most fun parts to play. And um, I was obsessed with that turntable and running around it like a, a crazy 11-year-old. Were there any fun, notable people on tour with you? Um, uh, uh, You're like, no, all losers. <laughs> it's so funny because all the, the fancy, notable people, my mom still makes fun of me to this day. So I was, when I joined the company, I was right at the height where they normally actually say thank you so much and let, let all of the lovely uh, young Gavarashas go. Um, but they gave me two additional inches to grow Aww. in my contract, um, even though I was already at that, that um, height. And uh, they offered to extend my contract. And it was because they were recording the next Part My Kids album. I said no because I wanted to come home and do the recording. My brain was more interested in being on an album than it was in going to what was going to be, I think it was Salt Lake City and Hawaii. Was, was sit down. And the Hawaii sit down, they were bringing back Craig Shulman and Leia Salanga. And it was right after that, then um, right after Leia left was when Sutton, I believe, joined the company. So like those fancy people. Um, you uh, just missed them. I missed. I missed. But I, I have lots of people from that company who aren't maybe fancy names to everybody else who I love and adore for you. I was like, you did it with Susan Don Carson. Like I get very, I also know all the, I I know all the players. I saw Susan Don Carson not only play Fontaine, but play Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. Well, it's also crazy because like J.P. Doherty, who was the Tenardier, had, I think J.P. played Tenardier for like a decade. So like when when I joined the company, 
I had a playbill from when I saw Les Mis at like six at the Forest Theater in Philadelphia when it came through on the road. I had his signature on that playbill when I staged or as a younger child. So it's like I was six and then 11. So to me, it had been like, you've been in this forever. Right? You know? And he was like, yeah, hon, I've been in this thing for a really long time. Uh, readers at home, I'm doing the cigarette. Cigarette. So yeah, he's, yes. he's been in it for a while. Now, um, how did your mom deal with the touring lifestyle? Because parents sink or swim. So how did mom do? He did great because um, I, I mean, this is also part of like even what began my like coming out experience. My mom befriended all the gays in the tour. My mom is basically picture like um, uh, Bucks County's edition of Bette Midler. She's been called Bette Midler her entire life. Um, I, I hopefully can talk about this because I think we live in a more updated world. But like my mom was busy like hanging out with the gays, uh, drinking. She would like leave me with the other moms and like go socialize. Um, we can even get into how like I'm pretty sure she bought weed from the barricade driver. Like she was on teen tours. She had a great she, time. She was on tour too. She had she was like, if I'm going on tour, I'm going to have a great time as well. And she did. She was everyone's favorite, which is why I think they also wanted to extend is they liked my mom too. Yeah. She was also like super professional. She kept everything in track. We never missed a moment. Um, And like we, one of the things we remember too is we got to that tour and all of the kids and their parents were used to, all they did was eat like chicken fingers and French fries and burgers everywhere they went. And my mom and I, I was like, my mom had trained me to be a little bit of like a child foodie. And she was like, if we are going from city after city, we are trying the cuisine from all of these incredible places. So like when we would arrive, we'd find out like, what's the best sushi joint in this town? what's the best like Mexican restaurant we can't miss out on and all the other kids because they wanted to hang out with my mom and I we go well we're going over here we're not going to TGI Fridays again we're not going to McDonald's today for lunch we'll be here you're welcome to join us and we loved introducing to kids like I remember the first time half the kids ate calamari for the first time we have all these pictures in my childhood home of like everybody with like squid hanging out of their mouth because I thought it was so cool oh my god I love it I love your mom I want to go on tour with your mom Wendy is a Trip. Wendy's a trip. Hilarious. So how long were you back from Les Mis before Big came up? Because it couldn't have been that long. Uh, a little bit, a little bit longer. So Les Mis, I want to say it was maybe almost two years in between. Because um, I definitely, so like, it was right after that, right? So I, I get back from Les Mis, I'm about to turn 12. And that means I was heading into junior high school. So it's right around the time. It's like puberty was hitting. I'm in middle school for the first time. Uh, the bullying for being like a young queer boy uh, was definitely picking up. And like legit, my like young, uh, like, I think that's the first time I could ever track back to being like, I was depressed and hating school for the first time. I was a kid who loved school. I was a straight A student. Even on the road, school was like definitely like my jams. And I remember my tutoring just to really uh, applaud the tutors of the world too. Both tours, I got so blessed with kick butt tutors. Um, they, I remember things like we would be going to San Antonio, Texas, and and before we got there, we would do a unit on the Alamo and then arrive and take our test on the Alamo at the Alamo. Or like what IMAX movie on energy was going on. We'd go watch it. The second the movie was over, the tutors would go like, here's a pop quiz. Like those things I remember more than like what I had for breakfast yesterday. Um, but so school was really hard. And I remember I had reached the sort of place of like, um, even also beginning to feel the auditions weren't landing 
demanding in the same way too because I was going through like a voice change was like just on the precipice but luckily it hadn't changed fully yet and I went in and I originally auditioned for Billy which is the the friend Josh's friend Josh's friend to run around but they ended up calling me into the room to sing all of the um, young Josh stuff so particularly I want to know which is the like now had you seen the show on Broadway I had not because she closed rather quickly before. He closed real quick. So I didn't have a chance. All my friends were in it. And also the um, original Broadway was one of my traumatizing um, audition experiences because I could not keep up with that Susan Stroman choreography in that call. So that's one that like I remember coming out of and calling up my, my agents and managers and going, nope, that is not my journey. I was not like Brendan Espinoza, who I still know really yes, well. we love Brendan. We love Brendan, right? Brandon, well, I remember Brandon at that audition, like knocking it out of the park and me being like, this is not for me. This is not my journey. Why am I here? What's going on? So I just thought big was not in the cards for me. Um, and then uh, when the tour, it was a completely different creative team and new, um, uh, they had updated the show in certain ways. And they very much, that tour was sent out to try to make back the financial failures of that Broadway incarnation. Yeah, that was sort of my my first big question about big. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm thrilled you're a part of it. Yep. The um, national tour tried to fix what Broadway got wrong. Yes. And I, I'm curious to know how much of the kids know about that, of like, this didn't work on Broadway. This was a flopola. We're trying to fix it. I remember being aware, and and here's the thing: that show has grown on me as as an adult, and I and I have such fond memories of it now, even as a kid. So I, I full disclosure and apologies to Malby and Shire right now as I'm about to say something horrible that I hope doesn't come in. bite we me. know what you're going to say. Go ahead. But I I remember I got so I didn't know the show, and we get to I believe it was like Minneapolis Saint Paul to like go, and of course you arrive, you meet everybody, and then the first thing you do on your first night when you join the tour is watch the show. So I was seeing it for the first time. And they give my mom and I tickets and we sit in the theater and at intermission, the lights come up and I look at my mom and I went, so I think this is what doing a job is probably going to feel like. She goes, don't like it, huh? <laughs> I was like, I don't really know if I like the show. It it was also just, it was I'm so dying right now. Uh, like little 12 year old me was like, this is a job. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. I, um, I just very much, it was, it was so clear, like the design of it and everything was about saving money. So it was a very bare bones production of that thing. I ended up falling in love with it. Like you do anything that you do over time and, and repeating it. And that music I think is so fabulous. But um, my first impression was one of like. And also like you're playing a big part. I mean, this is not like, you're not part of the teen ensemble. You're playing the young version of Josh who does a lot in the show. Yeah, and, and and but also at the same time, it's sort of an easy, again, uh, readers at home, I'm giving the cigarette. It is a bit of an easy track because you get that like fabulous opening sequence and then you kind of go away for a while and then you come back and you sing a really phenomenal um, duet in act two and then go away until you appear in like the oversized suit at the end. Um, but I get all the best moments with like Zoltar. And you don't have to do all that dancing. Totally. And, and I also, but I also had to learn because again, Queer Boy, um, I had to learn how to skateboard and play baseball because there was like all of these tricks with the baseball. The the very famous story is I had to throw a baseball over, like from behind myself over my opposite shoulder. So like take the ball, throw it behind yourself and over your, like if you're, it's in your left hand, over your right shoulder um, and then catch it right in front of you. At my put-in rehearsal, right? 
everyone is there. The full creative team was at my put in. Um, and, and the entire company's there. Cause we're doing the show for me. I take that ball. I'm so nervous. I've got the skateboarding thing, right? As my entrance, I throw that ball over my shoulder. I miss catching it and it hits the stage once sort of bounces up and drops into the pit and onto the accompanist's hands and figure Like you literally have my ball bump, right? Like fully and everything stopped. And of course everyone is cackling. I went bright red. It was so embarrassing. And I made it my goal. I practiced it so much to make sure that never happened again. Now was your voice changing? Cause it's like a super high part and to be 12 or 13 and, doing and big is the reason I got brought out to that tour. Um, shout out to Joseph Medeiros, who is also a former child actor who has worked on Broadway and continued a fabulous career in the arts. So Joseph's voice was changing and uh, my heart breaks still thinking about it because Joseph would literally, while I was learning the track for the, my first two weeks of being in the company, would like come off stage sometimes in tears because he wasn't able to sing I Want to Know any longer. And that was half the reason I was brought out to be there in the first place was his voice was changing. He couldn't do the track anymore. Um, I was very lucky. It, my voice didn't really change until like 14, 15. So I just last up there. It's even one of my other fun little credits is I'm on many episodes of Blue's Clues. And one of the reasons why they loved working with me was I was like a 13, 14 year old, unlike the many like seven eight-year-olds they would work with i could like go into that recording booth and say the line three times they'd be like thanks travis and out <laughs> i'd go they loved it because they would save uh there would be no overtime with me <laughs> it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Did you do the full big tour? Did you close that out? I How long? So yeah. I came in. I think I... Les Mis and Big were really unique situations for me. Les Mis and that I was a replacement and only was there for about, I think it was like four months. And same thing with Big. I came out for the last like four and a half months of the tour. So I didn't even do full six month contracts because Les Mis, um, Big then closed. I, I ran the whole thing until it. Did you go back to regular like school when Big yep. was over? Went right back into, and that was another one. As I remember right afterwards, I, I was starting to say, you know, I, I had been sort of um, in a state of depression prior to. And when I booked big it was like oh yay theater again i got to leave school and go right back to it and so i was like in my happy place and i remember as big was ending my mom saying to me listen you have to go to school we're going to have to put you in you're going to have to start eighth grade with everyone else and you need to do eighth through 12th grade so like i need you to figure out whatever it is you need to do in order to find your happiness as you continue you know doing this and it can't be just relying on booking work as a performer she's like because we can't guarantee that that's going to continue to happen so it was like i and i very much then i taught myself then how to find um like a social circle in in my my school years i was like okay so if part of the thing is for me to be happy 
days, I'm going to need to make friends. I had lost so many because I missed so many birthday parties and kids events that like, it wasn't because I was my kid. I just, I wasn't around. You weren't there. Yeah. I wasn't there. So it was a really hard social situation. I had to teach myself to befriend teenagers when I was more used to befriending adults. Speaking of adults. So like yeah. as theater kids, sometimes, especially boys, we kind of connect with these 40 year old women. Yep. Um, I'm like the only 15 year old who is inviting like 40 year old women to my birthday party. Yep. Um, but you have a really great Easter bonnet story about uh, connecting with an an older woman yep. that I would love for you to share on the Little Me podcast. Um, I actually, I have two because I, I, you also just made me think of a second one. So the first one is during Tommy, um, the Easter bonnet competition happened to be held at the St. James Theater. And um, I remember during, uh, it was either the performance or or one of the big rehearsals for it because they do a, you know, a bunch of rehearsals. I was sort of segregated off with um, my cast and I'm sitting there's this like gorgeous older woman in front of me who like turns around and goes, oh, who are you? And what, what do you do? I'm, I'm in Tommy. We went on and I just befriended this woman and I come running up to my mom after having a 20 minute chat with this fabulous woman. And I was like, mom, 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 did you see I was talking to Vanessa? Vanessa is so cool. And my mom goes, yes, do you know who Vanessa is? And I was like, no. And she goes, that's Vanessa Redgrave. And I go, who? <laughs> Just friends. Right? But the other really great, um, fun Easter bonnet story that I'd love to tell because I get to do my, my impression inside of this one is, so um, because I was friends with Michael Cerverus, uh, Michael Cerverus was the first replacement for John Curran Mitchell in the off-Broadway production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And they became one of the first off-Broadway musicals asked to participate in the Easter bonnet competition of 1998. I remember that, the New Amsterdam Theater. The New Amsterdam Theater, you know, oh my God. So um, they, as part You're of- the Edelweiss, right? It's yeah. burned in my head. I, that's me as the young boy. In oh the, my God, that's so And funny. I also then wear the drag of Hedwig at the end and the bonnet. So, yes. So I got to feel it's the first time I'm in drag at 14 years old. Um, and and backstage, the, the, the sketch for, for everybody at home was um, uh, they announce over uh, the New Amsterdam loudspeaker that due to an unfortunate accident involving a can of uh, Aquanet and a Virginia Slims, Hedwig can't be here today. And the boys choir of Bratislava has a presenter and said, and like, 14 year old me and like full boys choir regalia comes out and sings six inches forward and five in my like soprano and then get kicked off the stage by Hedwig and at the end come back on in drag wearing the bonnet and like looking like a Hedwig mini me well the classic beat is because it's the Easter bonnet like we need all the help we can get so who's going to help me with that quick change but my mother backstage left at the New Amsterdam Theater and it's also the last number of the sketches before every year at the Easter bonnet somebody sings help is on the way and because it's 1998 who gets to sing it that year I remember Kristen Chenoweth, Chenoweth. and so Kristen Chenoweth is literally she had that bolt she had that uh, uh-huh. hairdo that was like a rock helmet yep. Yep. so she's backstage next to me doing a quick change into drag as my mom's changing me and she looks at my mom she goes is that your son? My mom goes, yes. And she goes, you must be so proud. <laughs> this is a good one. Iconic. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I saw that. And yep. I remember it so well. Oh yeah. Oh my God. How crazy the things you get to do when you are a theater kid and, and the, and the circles you run in the, um, I want to touch back on high school before we talk about what you've been doing recent years. Of course. So these four years that you're not, you're this kid who worked and worked and worked and worked. And I'm sure you were still, doing things through high school, but you had to get through these four years of school. Did you do your school musicals? 
what kind of things were happening in those four years. It's like you you know all of this so well. You are an expert in the world of uh, childhood actors. It's truly <laughs> incredible. Uh, yeah, school was school was rough because I I also I was in a lot of AP classes, and so that made it even harder to leave because when you're in elementary school and even a little bit of junior high, it was easier to make up the missed work of a day. But when all of a sudden I got to high school, missing a day meant hours of makeup work. And so even for an audition, I started to become more and more selective on the career stuff because it was just so hard to leave. And I also then got obsessed with, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to college for musical theater and potentially even just for musical theater directing so badly that I wanted to go to light. And I, I became obsessed with getting into Northwestern where I ended up going. And All right. Good job. I did. I did. I was like, I, again, blinders. I am somebody who like, I set my sights on something. Um, so it was hard. And but then yes, in order to maintain even like my sanity in the school, I started getting involved in all of the extracurriculars at school instead of focusing on the stuff that was taking me away from the social and my friends. So yes, I became the president of um, the Golden Wings Theater Company because they split my senior class my senior year and they opened a brand new $76 million high school my senior year. So I got to found the theater program that is at that new school. Um, And I was in Once Upon a Mattress and I was uh, in the actor's nightmare and I did a bunch of stuff and, and, you know, I got to direct my first, I would, we did a little 15 minute, um, uh, play festival and I directed my first show in high school. So like all of that stuff was there. <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> I literally <laughs> dropped my mic from right home. <laughs> um, actor's nightmare, mic drop. Um, so, uh, yeah, but high school was, was crazy challenging and also was the time I was coming out of the closet. So that was its own unique set of, uh, of learning experiences for me. And I struggled with it. And I, and I also, some of my teachers struggled with it too. I came across teachers who were super supportive of this world that was sometimes outside and also the, what I had done in my past and others who really didn't get it or were resentful of it. I will never forget like the AP bio teacher who just didn't understand. It was like, yeah, I thought I was going to be a rock star once and now I'm a teacher. So you can't always, you know, rely on these dream things, right? Like people literally trying to like kill the dream at times. And oh, I'm I know. very lucky to have um, a support system and, and enough belief also in myself. My parents really like, even by the time I reached high school, I was like, oh, I don't need to listen to these people. I know what I'm doing. And it was all a means to an end because I wanted to be a director. It does give you a having this sort of opportunity as a kid to work and work and honestly make a paycheck and be around adults. Like it's a very clear version of what you want your adult life to be like. Um, and not a lot of kids have that opportunity. So a lot of teachers don't understand how to interact with them. Well, that kids is, who've had these experiences. You, you bring up such a great point because I also was surrounded by people who were making their living doing this thing that I wanted to do. So I, I had proof of concept that it was possible from all facets. And not, not only that, but encouragement that I I was in the right, I had found my people was in the right world uh, and was doing the quote unquote right thing. Um, and so I, I didn't, you know, all of that stuff. It's like now as, as, as a uh, 37 year old, I am looking at this world going, Oh, wow. I really did choose a very challenging career and particularly post the pandemic, you know, we don't need to get too depressing about it all. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, at the time as a kid, 
I never felt that way. I never felt disheartened by it. I never felt like I was challenged by even any of the people who were like, you can't and shouldn't do this because it just felt so attainable and possible. And this thing that was like, this is my path. This is my calling. I want to do this so bad. So in the last couple of years, you've been the associate director with Jason Moore on a bunch of things. Um, Superhero Off-Broadway, obviously The Share Show, and Fully Committed. He directed Fully Committed yeah, too, right? Yeah, so you guys worked together. How did you find each other? How did he find you? So so that's like, again, sometimes it's it's about where you go and who you know. Um, I, uh, I Two main reasons are the reasons I think Jason was able to find me. His previous associate was um, moving on to a different project, and I had... Um, gone out for lunch with his previous associate and talked about directing. And so I think he put my name on a list of people for Jason to consider as his replacement. And then the fact that both Jason and I are Northwestern grads uh, really helped. So I remember when I, it's the same thing too. I, I, the other fun story to go digress for a second was I remember um, my Radio City musical audition. I came out after the first one was like, mom, I got it. And she was like, you did? Did they, did they tell you that? It's like, no, I just know. She's like, what do you mean you just know? And then I got a call back and I come out of the call back and I was like, I think I booked it. And she's like, did they <laughs> tell you? No, I just know. And I felt the same way when I left my meeting with Jason Moore being like, this is going to happen. He's going to call me. I've got whatever this job is that he's looking for. And at the time, the first show we did together was a untitled musical by the writers of South Park. We worked on all of the original development of the Book of Mormon together. Oh my God. So, so cool. Yeah. Um, now we kind of came back into... Our each other's lives during the share show because Michaela Diamond is my like daughter and student and love and um so that show I got to see in Chicago and saw it on Broadway right. and I saw it opening and I saw it closing and so I really got to see that show in multiple in versions. I have I've almost never seen a show change as much as that show. Yeah, and I'm sure that's the greatest learning experience for a director and that you've taken into <laughs> your own work out Jason, et cetera. But, um, what was, can you tell us something about the share show that got cut or changed that was not, was like something that was sad for you to go see go. So, I mean, yeah, that show changed so, so much, especially from our, I mean, even from the workshops to the out of town to Broadway, it just was a constantly evolving, uh, a beast of a thing. I mean, it's a lot to try to tell that incredible woman's, uh, uh, entire life story thus far in two and a half hours of yeah. singing and dancing. Um, in terms of stuff that I was sad to lose, I mean, ultimately it wasn't the right fit in the show, but I loved my experience of watching um, Stephanie J. Block and and the creative team figure out the um, ballad version of Believe that she used to sing as the 11 o'clock number <laughs> um, in the Out of Town production. Um, watching, I mean, because she sang the crap, you would You've never heard Believe by Cher sung in that way because hearing Stephanie J. Block wail, just rip into it. It was this emotional outpouring. was truly incredible. But actually, I want to tell the Michaela story because I, I, the one that I loved was watching the creation of what became the Beat Goes On sequence in Act 2. We didn't have that until... I want to say it was a week before we left for Chicago. That used to be, it was like two or three different sequences in Act 2 that none of them were really working where we were trying to figure out how to encapsulate Cher's movie career from the moment she um, she first got started through like the Moonstruck um, Academy Awards, through, you know, for all of her sort of like Oscar trajectory. We couldn't figure out how to do that. It was a game show at one point. There were all these different things and none of them were landing. And also simultaneously, the Beat Goes On was nowhere to be found in the show. There wasn't like a place for it. 
we, we had other ideas for it, but it just was never sitting in the show in a way. So we were like, how can we not inc- include this incredible number that is sort of iconically Sonny and Cher? And um, somebody had found, I want to say it was Briscatelli, uh, the choreographer, had found this bossa nova um, cover of The Beat Goes On. And it sort of inspired this idea to then have this Roxy Hart style sequence where she could take us through the entirety of her film career. And it was immediate because we were also looking for a moment in act two to showcase Michaela and also how damn talented Michaela is. It's so um, crazy. It was so good. It was such, I, and like, I love that show. I had the best time. The audience had the best time. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sorry. It didn't become like the, the runaway thing that we thought it could be. Now when that show does, will that go back out on tour or go out on tour? I mean, that is definitely a question that is up in the air right now. Um, they, I don't know what the future holds for the tour. It was originally set to go out uh, the fall of 2020. It got delayed. It was supposed to maybe go out this year, but I believe the producers are sort of waiting a little bit because of COVID. So just trying to see, they want to let some of the mainstays that have a proven track record out there. Yeah. So like, they want to be like, okay, how is Mormon and Wicked and Hamilton going to do on the road? And like, does that market still make sense for us to explore? And a lot of being associated is like hanging yourself on for a huge, huge hit so that you're setting the future tours and right. the out of town and all of that. So yeah. I, I do hope that happens for you. Thank you. Because yeah, it was truly like a two and a half, almost three year investment of time, hoping that that was going to be paying off as I was going to help set that tour. And then I, I had a contract right before the pandemic to sort of be, be along with it for its entire first year of its existence. So I very much hope it gets to happen again. Well, something amazing is on its way. Well, Speaking exactly. of which, your your production of One Slash Year at Bucks County is like the, the highest review, like the best reviews I've ever read for anything ever. It, I, honestly, I, I had I had two goals in in working at the Bucks County Podcast because I was a return home. One was to like make that a home again and hope that they would hire me for other shows as I love working there. And the second was I had never really had a major publication review um, work of mine before, and I was so nervous about that. That those reviews were it were a gift. It, they truly they saw exactly what we were going for, and they were really really wonderful. That was a magical the the kind of experience why why we all suffer through the stuff that we don't want to do in this industry um, are because the high of a show like my experience with Once at the Bucks County Playhouse was so high. I want more of those in my life. It was really- and you're creating some things too. Tell us about Dorian Gray, which is a musical that you're you've written and co-written and are going to direct and all that. You know all the things. Um, yeah, so uh, I I have written with a writing partner of mine a queer adaptation. Uh, I mean, it is. It's already a queer story. I mean, I see a disco ball in the logo, so yes. I know I got everything I need. <laughs> yep. So it, Dorian Gray uses all... Um, like queer artists from the pop rock and disco world sphere. So everyone from uh, David Bowie and Freddie Mercury and um, a bunch of other fabulous artists. But right now the question of course, is we need to get the rights to all of these songs. So we're in the process of going through trying to get uh, them. So fun. But it is, it is a gag of a show and uh, a sort of queer fantasia on, um, on modern themes. Modern themes. Exactly right. Um, I love it so much. You're doing so many amazing things and, uh, I just can't wait to see what's next for you and all of that, that funness. We need to do obsessed and quick fire questions. Yeah, so you got it. Travis, what are you obsessed with right now? Um, so I just, I feel like just like the rest of the world, I just finished squid game, 
which was insane. That and Midnight Mass on Netflix are my two favorites. So for the kids at home, please don't watch as both of those shows are are relatively violent and scary. Um, but for everyone else, uh, they're thrilling. I I I go after after a year and a half of being told that artists are aren't essential. It's so great to just go. No, there are so many brilliant stories, and I love being entertained. And I love that we're in this like renaissance of TV film. It's a world. There has never been a time like this it's in television. Really, it is really incredible. What is it's an embarrassment of television riches. It really is. Um, I watch a lot. Well, yeah, what have you been watching recently? Well, I'm obsessed with Only Murderers in the Building because I love a murder podcast. Yes. I love Martin Short. Yes. I love Steve Martin. Yes. And these having these two guys together, like I just want to spend my whole day with them. It's, I truly Martin Short's like one-liners on that show are uh, everything to get you through the day because they're truly iconic. Well, like he does. I also feel like I'm watching myself yes. in like 30 years. I'm literally <laughs> watching myself he in 30 years. He plays a director who had like a, what was it? Splash the musical. Splash the musical. Fun. It's so good. So everybody watch that if you, if you haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. These are the Broadway Workshop quick fire questions. Just go with your initial yep. I thought I don't. I didn't, want to, I didn't review these because I didn't want to know. No, I changed them up for everybody. But you know, when people think too long, they kill it. So I, here we go. With you. First audition song. Oh, um, uh, need to be a newsboy. Ah, favorite share song. Oh, um, uh, heart of stone. First Broadway show you saw. Cats. Meow. Favorite Broadway show of all time. Into the woods. Um, something you turned down when you were a kid. Oh, um, uh, what did something that I turned down, uh, doing a, um, musical version of the snow queen. Ooh, became, uh, you know, it was one of those, one of those bad auditions where I felt like I didn't like the room. And I remember as a kid being like, I don't want to work with those people. <laughs> I don't like the room. Yeah. The room is so cold. It was, um, we were in a cold room. They were terrible. I remember cold room. Like, oh, that's God. when you audition for people who are not interested in watching you audition. Correct. Cold room. Okay. What revival of a musical would you like to direct on Broadway? We've already talked about it. Kiss of the Spider Woman, and actually, and or Tommy, the nineteen ninety three four Tony season. Great. Um, it's exactly what I would love to do. If you could direct Patty Lapone in a musical that's not Gypsy, what would it be? Oh, um, oh, what a question! Oh, I mean, I would love her to do uh, Sunset Boulevard again. I mean, honestly, yeah, yeah, I'd be. I could be. That'll never happen. It will never happen. But like, I'm trying to think of like other roles that like I want her to do. I mean, or passion again. Like, I want to just. I mean, it's she's literally done everything. You ready? Here's the better answer: something new that hasn't been written for her. Yet. All right. Have you listened? Speaking of Sunset, have you listened to the Sunset Project? No, what's that? It is like a 10-part podcast. Um, it is so good. And he, this guy breaks down, Broadway Bob, breaks down the entire Sunset experience from firing Patty, oh, the Glenn wow. situation, the tour, like the 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 German company it is oh I'm adding this into my I mean I listened to it in one day yeah. it, and I DM'd it it's so good well I so, mean is it yeah. as good as listening to Patty read her own memoir well nothing can really top that nice. but this it's is really iconic a little bit more of a helicopter situation right all right can you name two real housewives uh Kyle who's in Kyle something who's in the Halloween movie that I just Kyle Richards and the Countess de, 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 <laughs> okay so you really can't I'm not a housewife this is shocking to me Travis okay yep I don't love this go to album for a car trip uh, uh oh um uh Hedwig Aida um uh Dream Girls okay did you see Linda Etter and Jekyll and Hyde? 100% multiple times. Okay, great. I love you. Now I love you again. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, yep. Good, who is your favorite uh, Muppet? Was my favorite thing ever. Oh. Yeah. Um, favorite Muppet? Oh, Gonzo. 
Okay. Um, craziest night you can remember on stage? Um, the first thing that came to mind. So it was the night in uh, Tommy where we were doing Pinball Wizard and somebody farted and the entire company was in the middle of singing Sensation, like hitting the pinball machine going like, Sensation, who dealt it? You smelt it. Ba-na-na-na. Like I, And like, I'm trying to play a deaf, dumb and blind child and not, not laugh. crack up. Yep. Um, how does Cher smell? <laughs> um, uh, like um, power and perfection. <laughs> she, she's, I like to say she's not a she's not her own planet. She's her own universe. You can feel her yeah, into a room even behind your back. Um, who is the first crush you can remember having? Oh my god! Oh, look at you going there. Probably like uh, David Boreanaz and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Um, all right. What musical are you okay with never seeing again? Um, uh, probably, uh, <laughs> what to say out loud. Um, probably like, I'm trying to think. I just, I, I, rather than say that, I think I'm done with adaptations of The Wizard of Oz, Christmas Carol, and Peter Pan's of the world. I'll just say Did that. Did you see that last Christmas Carol, though? It was, it's iconic and can be the final one. That's it. Yes, we're, we're done. good. We're done. It's but, so good. Let's do that every year. I'm I cried like a baby. It's so good. But I'm just, I'm, I need less uh, re All right, you're less of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you into true crime? I am not. Okay. Because the follow-up was, what crime would you like to have solved? But I can't help you. You can't help me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. I I like my stuff scripted. I want. All right. Yeah, I want the fix of not the reality stuff so much. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, have you ever left a show at intermission and you don't have to say what it was? Uh, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Have Did you see Amazing Grace on Broadway? <laughs> I did not. I missed it. And and uh, and we can off camera. We'll we'll get into uh, some connections to that one too. <laughs> Who makes you starstruck? Oh man, um, people like Taylor Mac and. Um, uh, like uh, even like like the the people who are out there who are doing the thing but also have maintained like a really good head on their shoulders who aren't about like the fame and the bs of our industry but are rather about like the art and are still somehow able to like make cool things taylor mack for those who don't know is like an incredible performance artist um and when i went to maybe my favorite piece of theater i've ever seen which was a 24 decade history of uh, pop music from taylor which was a 24 hour piece of theater i went for a full day of entertainment for him he oh, makes my oh absolutely not count me out for that. Yeah, i loved it it was sometimes I, i'm like what's the running time yeah, of course um how, when do i get out of here is there 90 minutes no intermission is my favorite exactly sentence right. of all time okay um if you could go back in time and see any broadway show any year what would it be i probably would want to go back and see the original company um do uh sweeney todd or dream girls or um even into the woods all right um and oh yeah, my last question Oh, no, I have two more. What movie can you watch over and over again? Oh, man. So, so many. Um, we're, we're right now in spooky season. I think I've already watched Hocus Pocus at least four times because um, it's iconic. Can you believe that I have never Wait, seen? What? I don't like when things get really popular. And so I think it's, once you it make it popular for a reason, right? I mean, no, I understand, but I'm like, I don't need that. I'm like, you like it, you like it, I don't like it. <laughs> It's honestly, it. I, having just rewatched it, it's definitely like there's stuff that's like a huge mess, and it is a time. Oh, I love a bad. I love a bad movie. But it's it's kind of a great bad film. 
All right. I, I think this is the season. I think I'm going to watch it's it this time. Week. I think this is the year. It is it is October of 2021. It is time for you to watch. I have seen pieces of it. I know there's like you know, a cat. You're going to get to it. But like, go watch Bette Midler's most consistent character work of all time. I mean, I watch Outrageous Fortune once a month. So I mean, you, just, you go. just watch your mouth. Okay. Right. Um, what advice do you have for young performers? Um, probably A, to don't let anyone ever tell you that you can't do something. And B, to... Uh, Get an education in all things. The more you know, the more valuable you are as an entertainer. So even if you're like, if you hate math, trust me when I tell you there's something that's still going to be valuable from those classes that you have to sit through. Same thing with social studies and English class and whatever stuff that might be hard for you. There, I hope that you can still find something to uh, gain and learn. And also it doesn't all have to come from the classroom. I'm like, you have all of human knowledge usually in your pocket in that iPhone or whatever, you know, smartphone device. That damn thing in your pot, in your right? computer pocket. Right. And, and so you have access to everything. So if you love musical theater a whole lot, go learn all of the shows, even the ones that weren't on Broadway, go learn all the off-Broadway stuff. Go educate yourself about everything you possibly can, because the more you know, knowledge is power, and I think it's a really valuable thing to have in this industry. Now, Travis, you're an excellent coach for young people, for adults, for anyone. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they're looking to book a coaching, or they want you to direct their reading of the show they wrote? Or Yeah, absolutely. The easiest place to get in touch with me is my website, so Travis Grice. It's a gorgeous website. Give them the address. Yep, so again give them the web address so it's www.traviscreisler t-r-a-v-i-s-g-r-e-i-s-l-e-r.com and we can also find you on the internet at, on instagram twitter at, at travesty 24 7 so t-r-s-v-i-t-r-a-v-i-s-t-y 24 7 it's a 24 hours a day travis there's so many things i could talk to you about i'm so glad to spend this hour with you you're an absolute delight thank you for joining me today Back at you, Mark. Thank you for having me. This you is are the best. All right, friends, if you're loving the Little Me podcast, remember to review and rate and subscribe and tell your friends. I'll be back next week with an all new episode. And Travis, we'll see you on Broadway. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.